your truth with life strategist Laura T. Real advice for regular people. Now, here's Laura. Hello and welcome to Own Your Truth, where we are talking real advice for regular people. I am Laura T. Thank you so much for listening. Right, we're gonna we're gonna talk about something a little bit different. Um, something that I noticed through my coaching sessions and my conversations, and especially a particular conversation I had with uh, my friend Frank, there was this common theme about practice that kept popping up. And it came up in some unusual ways. So it started me wondering about this concept of accidental practice, right? So what does that mean, accidental practice? It's all of the things we do that we don't look at as practice, but meant that are meant to be practicing for life, or even the things that we do over and over unintentionally practicing that may not serve us or get us to our goals. So it was a topic that intrigued me and it's what I'm going to cover tonight. All right. So on to this topic about practice. So most of us are familiar with the term practice makes perfect, but it's not true. Because repeating an action over and over doesn't actually make you more skilled at the action. I mean, what it does is it makes you better at doing the action the same way that you're doing it, right? So an example that I use uh, for this is actually this week I was talking with the uh, great folks here at WICC and I was discussing the show and I shared with them like, okay, here are the results that I have for my radio show and I summarized them in three key areas. One is increasing my audience reach, right? The second was improving my brand. And then my third was learning how to create a terrific show. Well, so what was interesting is when I thought about my third result, this idea of learning how to create a better show, it became clear that producing a show the same way each week may make me better at doing the show the same way, but I really have to ask myself, does it make for a better show? And to be honest, I, I really don't know. I know the message I want to share, and I know the stuff I like to hear, but if I step back and think about this question, it's highly likely there are areas of the show that need improvement that are beyond my understanding because... I'm new to using radio as a way to communicate my message. Until I revisited my result, I didn't even recognize the need to create an action plan to help me practice at getting better because I was so caught up in the doing, right? The doing, that creation of the show. I mean, I didn't even think about the fact that I was currently practicing my show a certain way and not asking myself, does it really get me to the result I want? So, you'll notice that as I talk about practice tonight, you'll hear how easy it is for us to get caught up in that doing and get to the point where we're not really stepping back and reflecting on the purpose of what we're doing or even asking ourselves, is the way that we're practicing the best way to get us to our result? So that's what tonight's all about, right? We're going to explore some of the ways we accidentally practice, and I'll give you some questions to help you consider if your current form of practice is intentional or unintentional. All right, so let's get started. I mentioned tonight we're going to talk about accidental practice, right? These are the things that we unintentionally practice that may not serve us, and the things that we may want to consider a different form of practice to actually get us to the result that we want. So, I, with the start of the show, I debunked that cliche, practice makes perfect, because 
you know, practicing the same thing over and over doesn't necessarily improve the, our skill in that area. Okay, so let's talk about practice as a means to an end. You know, it's about um, those ideas of practicing kind of just to get it done. Tonight, I'll use as a, as a quick example um, this notion of working with youth because they are have such busy schedules. They are trying to balance schoolwork and multiple sports and extracurricular activities and all volunteer stuff. I mean, there's tons of things that they have going on. And yet, they see this really important idea of practicing their athletics, whether it be um, football, baseball, track, whatever it is. The challenge is that those athletes are going to practice. They're, they're showing up. They're working. They're getting it done, and then they're moving on to the next thing. Makes total sense. I mean, think about us as, as adults. We sometimes practice the same way. And yet, they feel frustrated because they aren't beating the competition. They aren't improving their times, or they're not being chosen to play in a game, um, and, they, and they can't understand why. Well, so... Often, youth athletes use practice as sort of an easy day, right? And they save themselves for the big game. When the reality is, if you don't practice like you're in the game or at the meet, you're practicing during the game or at the meet. So different challenges and scenarios present themselves when you're pushing yourself to the limit. And the reality is, if you aren't practicing for those situations, you aren't prepared to deal with them when they happen. So one of the key people to study, and he brings such clarity on this topic, is an athlete like Michael Phelps. It's highly documented that Phelps treated every practice like a swimming meet. So he created scenarios of things that could potentially go wrong during the meet and how to respond. He would also practice perfect races in his mind so it was clear what he needed to do to create the result he wanted in real time. So, during the Beijing Olympic Games, when Phelps' goggles filled with water during the 20-meter butterfly, it didn't impact his performance because not only had he practiced without goggles, he also practiced a perfect mental race, knowing exactly how many strokes it would take to get to the end of the pool to win. And so he did. The message isn't that you need to be as committed as a Michael Phelps, but... If you're looking to create improvement, you have to ask yourself, am I practicing as if it's the real thing? If not, you're practicing to practice, which is fine if a practice result is what you're looking for during the big game. And so I use this example of youth and sports, but think about as adults, if we're doing a presentation or if we're going on the radio or if we're doing these things, are we practicing like it's the real thing, the big game, or are we practicing like it's practice and giving ourselves leeway and room for mistakes and and movement? So, okay, sports is an obvious place to talk about practice. What changes if you consider everything you do more than once as a form of practice? Hmm, kind of thinks, have you think about things a little different. As a coach, I often talk to clients about habits and many people come to me to help break what they see as, you know, bad habits, I have my air quotes, and they're often looking for instant results. What most people don't consider is the days and months and years they've been practicing their bad habit, like literally reinforcing the strength of the habit in their brain. So they overlook the amount of practice it took them to get to their place of dissatisfaction, and they discount the amount of new practice it will take them to reach their goal. 
So what we're going to do is take a brief break to listen to this week's Own Your Truth with Laura T., uh, music artist of the week and we're going to talk more deeply when we come back about an example of how this idea of practice um, years of practice doing the thing that we want to break impacts our ability to make the change all right so i want to just share with you this week's uh, musical artist of the week i'm so excited to share music from shannon mcmahon a singer songwriter from stratford connecticut who creates contemporary folk music with rich vocals and songs that resonate with a strong sense of human experience the song that you're about to hear uh, sharon wrote while looking up in the sky and making a wish on a star when the stars started to move, she realized she'd actually wished on an airplane and wasn't sure wishes came true when you wish on airplanes. So this song is for stargazers, for those who wander and those who are looking for their next true north. I hope you love her sound as much as I do. Here is Wishing on Planes by Shannon McMahon.
Welcome back. This is Own Your Truth with Laura T. And I'm so grateful to Shannon McBen for that beautiful song, Wishing on Planes. So tonight, we are talking about accidental practice. It's all of the things we do that we don't look at as practice, but are meant to be practice for life, or even the things we do over and over, unintentionally practicing, that may not serve us. So I started to talk about this idea of... Um, you know, someone who wants to break a bad habit and something that they've done over a long period of time. And I wanted to give an example of how this may show up. So I have a client who wants to lose weight and has been struggling with her body image for almost 10 years. So you think about that amount of time, right? She eagerly tries new supplements and fad diets. But when she is in them, right? Once it gets past the initial excitement of it being new, she finds it difficult to stick with them because what she really wants is fast results. I mean, don't we all? We're all looking for something quick, something we can see instantaneously. And when she doesn't get the results, she gets discouraged and gives up. So when we look at this idea of weight loss and we think about multiple forms of practice that we use to get to this point of dissatisfaction, I mean, first, there's the mental practice. And that mental practice is the things that you say mentally about your own eating habits or even the difficulties you believe that will exist when you attempt to change your lifestyle. So for instance, if you believe that eating is the only way to treat yourself or if you believe it'll be impossible to change your eating habits because the rest of your family doesn't need or even want a different lifestyle, repeating those beliefs, practicing those beliefs will have an impact on your ability to get your result. I mean, when we looked at the Michael Phelps example I shared before that beautiful song, um, you see that mental practice is as powerful as your physical practice. And when you're using that mental practice unintentionally against your goal, it will prevent you from getting the result that you say you want. So then there's the second form of practice, which is the physical practice. What changes when you think about your eating habits as a form of physical practice that can actually be broken down into two smaller practices and a result? And I'm going to tell you what that means right now. So the first practice is the trigger. This is when you unintentionally practice responding to something. So for instance, if we use this idea of losing weight and you are, let's say, a stress eater, you've created a connection between stress and eating. And you unintentionally practice that connection every time you respond to stress with food. But like, we're not taught to think about it this way. So then you get to the second piece, which is the second practice, which is the, the habit. That's the intentional practice to the trigger, right? You may not like what you do with this practice, but it's true. You practice it because you repeat it over and over. So you intentionally respond to stress with the eating habit of eating foods that don't nourish your body, but you may tell yourself that they temporarily satisfy a need or maybe they subside this, the pain of the stress. And so you have these two sort of mini practices that you do, one unintentionally, one intentionally. And then there's the result of those practices, which is the not being happy with your body image. So step back from this habit of stress eating and think about all of the opportunities you have to practice this each day, each week, each month, and even the years. For this, for, for example, this 
client that I work with, 10 years has been struggling with this. So when you unintentionally have these practices that have become strong habits, you want to be realistic about considering the change in practice now. Of course, change can happen, but it takes intentionally creating new practices. It means replacing your current practices. So what new mental practices do you have to implement to feel good around making a lifestyle change? Using stress eating, consider the trigger. You know, what new connection can you make with stress? How about going for a walk? Or if that's too big a step to take, what about practicing eating body nourishing foods and limiting them to measurable amounts? Listen, I can give you a couple of simple examples, right? And this is to get you to think differently. This isn't about giving you an answer. It's about giving you a way to think differently around what you practice and to have you start noticing the practices you implement that don't really help you get get you to your goals. Okay. So now let's talk about the stuff you may be unintentionally practicing. And, you know, I'll start with um, the stuff we practice as parents because it's sort of uh, a simple way. And it was actually the reason for me thinking about the show concept because I was having this conversation with my friend Frank that sparked this idea of accidental practice because he was taking care of his 13-year-old niece for a couple of days who's an athlete. He noticed that when she came home from sports, the school and sports, she tossed her bag full of dirty stuff on the floor, right? I mean, this happens often in homes around the country. So he asked her, hey, you know, like what happens with the stuff? And she said, oh, my mom takes care of it. And she walked into the kitchen. So, you know, in the moment he's walking in and although he thought to himself, well, you know, your mom isn't here, he quickly got carried away with, okay, like what are they doing for dinner and helping to make sure she got her homework done and, you know, taking the dog out and getting to bed and all of the stuff that we do to take care of a household. So the next day after she had left for school, he realized the bag of dirty stuff was still there. And he started thinking like, would his niece need clean stuff for practice? And then he wondered like, should I help out? But then he thought, well, what if, you know, she knows that it's there and she left it there intentionally? Or, you know, what if she's expecting that the stuff will be there and not really thinking that her mom isn't home? And he didn't really know what to do. But because he didn't want to disrupt any plan that his niece had had with this stuff, he, he left it there and went to work. So I mention this because it's important to recognize we're all practicing something with our habits, intentionally or unintentionally. So the practice here is that the niece comes home and leaves her stuff at the door and the mom takes care of it. But what happens when the mom isn't there? Again, it's easy to get caught up in doing it, getting it done the fastest way. And especially as parents, we can get caught up in our own habits. However, what changes when you step back and carefully consider how is your habit or your practice in this case, impacting your ability to prepare your child for the world? So. Kids need to practice preparing for their day, making their own breakfast and getting their own lunch together and making sure they have their stuff for school and sports. So they need to create these systems for success now while they have backup at home. When a student goes to college or moves out, they don't have that luxury of having somebody at home. And those aren't skills that are necessarily natural for every student. And so they have to learn their own practice, create their own habit of 
putting together their stuff. Another example, because I heard a young mom complaining this week about being in a restaurant with her kids and getting dirty looks from other restaurant goers for handing her child an iPad for entertainment. Now, it's important to know the conversation tonight is not about whether children should have technology at the table, which is another topic for a totally another day. This is about remembering what we're practicing. By handing your child a device, or equally important, by being an adult on a device at the dinner table, which I don't know about you guys, but I see all the time, you are practicing, or in this case, not practicing social skills. So I have to admit, I have a bias about this topic because I love dinner. Uh, Not just I love food, but dinner is an important social time for me. Growing up, we always ate dinner together and would often sit around the table long after the meal was over, just like laughing and talking and enjoying each other's company. I knew from the time my kids were little, I wanted to instill that same love of eating together in them. So the standard in my house is even though we often eat dinner late, 90% of the time we eat dinner together and we stay at the table until the last person finishes. Okay, so I have to admit that now that my kids are in their teens and because my sweet daughter eats very slowly, not everyone stays at the table every night, but I always sit until the last person is done. So getting back to this idea of practice, even when my kids were little at the kitchen table, they practiced what it would be like to be in a meal regardless of where they were or regardless of where we were at. So sometimes it meant that they... um, Um, got little toys before the meal. The toys were taken away once the meal arrived. Um, And they also practiced sitting in their chair until the meal was finished and everyone was done. So all of this was and still is an intentional social practice because my husband and I like to go out to eat and we don't live near family. So I knew if I wanted to take the kids with me and I wanted to enjoy the meal, which is key, right? I want to enjoy the meal when we go out. I'd have to teach my kids how to view table time. They behave the same way in public as they did at home because that's what we practiced. And often we don't think about this idea of practicing social skills. Um, But even now as adults and teens, the rule at the table is no technology. So my kids hand over their phones and sometimes it's more willingly than other times. And uh, there's an occasional eye rolling every now and then. But Because our table is our social time, they do hand them over. And so in life, conversation is sometimes boring and other times tensions get really high. And sometimes you'd rather be anywhere else but at the table. But as humans, we're social beings and we need to practice how to engage socially under all of these different circumstances. And the only way to get better at it is to do it, then to consider the parts that worked, the parts that didn't work, and what you want to change for the next time. Because remember, more practice doesn't make you better, but better practice does. So the reflection is an important part of the practice. And okay, we're not reflecting on each and every meal, but we do reflect on what works and what doesn't work during our family time. And so let's get back to this idea of this social time, right? What changes when you look at your home as a practice 
because you live in a small community and you think that about your you're teaching your kids how to participate in a mini community to prepare them for participation in their growing community which extends to school college work and and beyond that right and so we're constantly practicing whether we do it intentionally or not so what do you really what do you do really well in your mini community in your family and how are you practicing that what would you practice to be a better community in your mini family and I'd love to hear your answers to both of these questions. Go to the Own Your Truth with RT Facebook page and, and share what's working, what's not working. Um, because as a community, we can all learn together and grow. And we are practicing how to be social. And we're doing it every time we sit at a table. We're doing it every time we engage in a conversation. And we do it every time we're on our phones and at our technology. So we're practicing whether we do it intentionally or not. Okay, so what are some other examples of accidental practice? Well, communication is a great place to explore this idea of accidental practice because most of us don't think about the fact that we are practicing how we communicate every time we engage with someone and especially with the people that we love. So I have a client who has a challenge communicating with his wife. His wife has a very strong behavioral style and to him, her comments feel condescending and she can come across as somewhat of a know-it-all. So as a coach, my job is not to dispute someone's feelings about their partner, but to help them find ways to work with what they feel they have. So again, thinking about this idea of practice, Right now, this is how they practice. So, for example, he comes home from work and she quickly jumps on and something that hasn't been done around the house. And he gets defensive and lists all the things he's done during the weekend. And then they don't have time and, and, you know, mentions he doesn't have time during the week. Then during dinner, my client will attempt to talk about his day and his wife will quickly respond with a solution that he would then argue wouldn't work. And most of the time, it wouldn't even matter what she said. Even if the suggestion was a good one, he didn't hear it because he had practiced discrediting her idea before she even shared it. And so then she would have her response, which you know was that he doesn't want help and they would both leave the table angry. And so we look at this unintentional practice and we can see it in how we communicate. They spent years practicing this way of interacting with each other and it didn't work. And yet it was like him coming in the door was like Pavlov's dog, you know, the the bell would ring and the, the practice would begin. And so I'll have you think about some questions. What communication practices do you engage in unintentionally? What changes when you you think about how long you've practiced this way of communicating and what does it take for you to create a new practice what new approach could communicate to communicating could you practice all right so a final example of practice for tonight um, is one that uh, I've really been thinking a lot about this week and it's how much we practice being right so it's really natural because our brain has two jobs to answer our questions and prove us right. But does that idea of being right really serve us? 
So a great book that I've been reading uh, is by Jennifer Garvey Berger, who wrote Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps. And I highly recommend this book. Uh, she points out that our experience of rightness kills curiosity and prevents openness to data that could pr prove us wrong. It also changes the way we treat people. But focusing on this idea of being right and it killing curiosity, I'll use myself as an example. Um, so I focus, I use this assessment with people and clients and I feel like it does really good for people and they respond and it creates rapport and yet I know it so well, I've done it for so long that it feels great to be right when I'm understanding their behavior and yet I have to step back and look, if I continue practice being right instead of getting more curious, am I really getting to the core of the clients that I'm working with? It's important to consider whether being right is helping you be the best that you can be at whatever it is you're practicing. So what changes if you practice being wrong? Literally go out of your way to consider what would make you wrong in a given situation. How would being wrong change the way you think? How much more would you learn? How would it change the way you listen? I know I'm willing to give it a try and I'm hoping that you'll join me. So. Tonight I've shared this idea of practice and repeating the same action over and over and deciding what you want and getting consciously curious about where, where and what you want to be practicing. Focus on your results. In summary, it's about being conscious to what you're doing so you can do it at your highest capacity. I hope tonight's session on accidental practice has you thinking about different ways of practicing and evaluating the things you may be unintentionally practicing that don't serve you. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts about tonight's show. Visit the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page and give me your feedback. Laura T. on Own Your Truth. Hear you then. Good night. <laughs>